1: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: Hello and welcome once again to the Rulur Tech Podcast. This is episode two, and I am your host, Dan Cavallari. I'm coming at you from Colorado, where it's actually very London weather right now. And fortunately, I do have a Londoner. Uh, Joining me today, Peter Stewart, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks, Dan. And actually, while it's been raining today, we had a bit of sun yesterday and I got out on my bike. And so I feel extremely smug that you, a Colorado native, <laughs> who usually has got Instagram photos of you on some incredible mountain next to black yeah. bears on Flagstaff yeah. looking as happy as you could be. <laughs> and I'm basically soaked from head to toe in my winter booties, having done like a yeah. 15K ride that I've given up on. So you know, I'm feeling good about myself at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like for the, once, the, the once tables have turned. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, thank you for sending London's finest weather here. It's been raining for about a week now, uh, which is <laughs> incredibly unusual here. Uh, but that's, that's, that's okay. We could use the water, and I'm happy to take a little, little break from my legs. Uh, you know, we're, this is episode two, as I mentioned. And um, last episode, we did a, we did a debate uh, about uh, what, whether electronic shifting was the future. And we're going to do another debate today uh but for those of you listening i think it's important to know that the the format of this show will change uh episode to episode we've got all sorts of cool stuff coming up we're going to be talking to you know product managers at various brands and we're going to have all sorts of, of neat things to do but for today you know after peter and i argued about wireless shifting we we kept on we kept on arguing about drivetrains and there's so much to argue about there <laughs> and so you know like i said i'm i'm uh i'm in my garage right now and and it's raining outside and it's a good day to sort of contemplate all the bicycles in my garage, and, and right now I'm looking at a bunch of them, and most of them are one-by, uh, except for my road bike, which is two-by. So today, Peter and I are going to debate about whether one-by is the future or two-by. Peter, what's your take?
1: Well, I'm going to go against the grain of popular thinking, moment and say that I think one-by is the best solution Across the board, except for super specialist cycling, I've never even heard of any sort of road cycling I've done or know about. I think one by is an adequate and actually a better solution. So I'm a one by fan right here.
0: Okay, I'm I'm of the mind that Peter is always wrong. So <laughs> so I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two by and and I say that for good reason. And uh, but before we dive into that and defend our points, uh, let's talk a little bit about what exactly a one by and a two by drivetrain is. Uh, a one-by drivetrain means that you have one chainring uh, up front uh, in addition to your cassette in the back. And then two-byes, of course, you have uh, two chainrings up front and a derailleur to shift between them. And, of course, traditionally, uh, road bikes in particular have had uh, two Chain rings up front, and uh, in, in, honestly, in the past, we've even had three chain rings up front. Uh, and that's changed a lot in the last several years. And that change came about uh, largely as an adoption from other types of cycling, mountain biking uh, in particular. And then uh, mountain biking was, was won by for a very long time before it came into things like gravel and cyclocross. Uh, and now, just in the last, I would say, what, five, four or five years, um, road, Uh, cyclists have started to look at one by as a viable option for them and that that only came about because uh, drivetrain manufacturers started to address some of the issues that one by drivetrains bring especially on the roadside and and a lot of that means uh, the gear combinations right so one of the the lovely things about a two by is that you have a a lot of different gear combinations and that's something that as a road cyclist you're gonna you're gonna use all of those gears Uh, one by definitely solved that uh that issue by making uh you know a larger uh wider range cassette the drawback to that was that the jumps between the cogs became much bigger and so cadence became a problem for a lot of cyclists so with all those things that were happening as as drivetrain started to evolve some people jumped on the one by uh uh, development and have really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of other road cyclists have stuck with two by specifically because uh, they're they're more interested in a, a steady cadence, not those bigger jumps between gears. Uh, the two by, you know, there's all sorts of other benefits. So uh, we're at a, a really neat inflection point here in drivetrain development, where both two by and one by seem like very viable options. So today, Peter and I are going to face off—very deadly face-off, uh, winner-take-all, like Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> and Peter, you're you're uh, you're contending that one buy is the future, and I am saying that two buy is going to live on, and not only live on, but also thrive. What say you, Peter?
1: Well, that's a fair claim about my my confidence in one buy. I've been uh, a one by fan pretty much since the first time I started riding like a one by road setup. And I think it was my old colleague Stu Bowers, who's Cycling Weekly, Psyche's Magazine. He converted uh, a giant Defy, as I recall, with a really early kind of SRAM kind of mullet setup where he'd used a kind of rear 10 to 36 and a front 48. And he'd done some enormous challenge like the kind of. Um, it was something like the Tour de Mont Blanc, you know, one of these three hundred kilometer, 8000 meter ascent challenges, and he'd been absolutely fine, and the range had been there, and he hadn't had an issue. And sort of after that, I, I was sort of open to the idea of: is one buy effective? Do you actually do you need two front de- chain rings? Do you need a front derailleur? And I think further, so I was already on this chain of thought, and then. I met Jerry for the first time in person. And again, Jared Bruman gets a bit of flack for, I think lots of cycling journalists really get quite captivated with his rhetoric. And he's very convincing, very intelligent engineer. And um, I think most people who speak to him would be like, this guy is a real visionary when it comes to some of the d- designs he's done. There's um, some of worked, some haven't. I think a lot of them have actually, but um, nonetheless. And but he put it really well. He was like, the rear derailleur is a really beautiful engineering object. It like chain flows neatly through it, it delivers the chain, it, it shifts in a really complex, like finely honed off over a century of time, the way it acts and the way it changes gear. Whereas the front derailleur is literally just two plates that pushes the chain until it falls off the chain ring, which is just <laughs> like a really crude engineering process of how yeah, a yeah. chain ring how yeah. yeah, the shifting comes about. And the
0: hammer of the drivetrain. <laughs> exactly. The blunt it's literally inchined. like
1: the old the old rods of the 1903 derailleur setup, you know, (laughs) before you had any sort of cable actuation. So for me, I think the one by, you know, when he explained to me that, I was like, actually, I I believe in this. If, If we can make it happen, if it's a viable alternative to two by, why can't we have a go at this technology? And I think one thing I've noticed throughout this whole debate, and I don't know if the social media comments have changed in the last few years to what, They were when we initially started this debate. But initially, everyone was always the same. And they'd say, well, where's the range? You know, you're going to have to... I can't climb a mountain like that. I can't descend. And you're like, there's more range in one-by group sets. And I'm always explaining this to people. Like, you get a SRAM Eagle group set, a 10 to 50 cassette. There is no road group set that rivals that for overall range. And, you know, I think you mentioned that earlier on. So to your credit, you're aware of that. Well, aware of that. But if you want the largest range possible, a one-by group set with a large, long Clutched derailleur is going to be the best way to get a massive amount of range. Now beyond that, obviously that range often, if you want to not have the gaps, the range might sit slightly tighter, than, or be skewed one way, in a way that a road group set isn't. But even then, I think even if you have gone to say 10 to 36 uh, cassette, and you go say a 46 front chainring, a lot of time, again if you put the gears into Sheldon Brown, or you know, do the gear and from workout, well, your RPM at 120 on the hardest gear, even like a 4410, is going to result in terms of speed. It's still going to be like 52, 55 kilometers an hour. And so if you're doing a decent cadence, you're spinning at a decent rate, you will still be able to ride in a fast chain gang and even get decent speed downhill under the steam of a one by group set with a relatively tight, tight cassette. But nonetheless, I've sort of digressed here because there's actually <laughs> a wider point, which is that there's yes. this whole illusion about... The amount of gears that you get on a two-by group set, you know, the idea that you've got 22 gears. When you don't have mm-hmm. 22 gears, you know, like a, a double chainring uh, setup, you know, 53-39 with a uh, 11 to 26, I believe, only actually has 14 functional different gear steps. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when you actually look at the duplicates, like you know, when you compare the 53-19 to the 39. 25 whatever you know it ends up being effectively the same gear so you're not actually getting any benefit from those gear steps all you're really getting is the benefit of the fact that when you're on the front large chain ring you're having smaller steps relatively speaking but even then i think those steps again to take it to another level a lot less relevant at the high end of the cassette as well so you can have a bigger spacing at the high end of the cassette as you know 3t did an experiment with that with Estrada about having cassettes that were quite tight in the small cogs, you know, when you're going to have to be really finding that cadence to keep up the group, and then as you get to the large cogs, you're like, well, you're just hanging on, you're like, you're just trying to go uphill, uh, yeah. kind of whatever cadence you can manage. And so, you know, that was the design. I think you can you can you can cater for. You don't need to have a consistent gearing step throughout the whole cassette. So, but these are all reasons why I think two by kind of it's slightly overregged. And beyond that, I think we've just been going for more and more gears for, you know, 12 speed and even 11 speed. I mean, I think like we kind of had things worked out with nine speed, you know, it was, it was actually, it was a nice group set and the, the maintenance for these group sets, is going to be said, I mean, I don't know if this is an old wives tale, but I've heard this from Mike Burroughs and many other old engineers that you just did not need to clean your chain or clean your cassette nearly as often with old school kind of nine speed, eight speed group sets, because, no, you just didn't have those tight components, those thin chains, you just wouldn't get the same ingress in like packed, dirt, and grease. So mm-hmm. the question is really, what is the benefit of these more gears? And I, I think personally, and again I'm actually usually I say the opposite thing that the consumer's right. And when consumers say <laughs> I like disc brakes, they're saying it because yeah. it's true. But I think with right. gears, they're actually wrong. <laughs> I think they, okay. <laughs> when they say, I want twenty four gears or twenty-two gears, it's just a really mm-hmm. simple quantitative step because of what mm-hmm they see on the shop floor. And again, it's like me when I was like a 10 year old boy and I was looking at like 27 speed bike blew my mind. And mm-hmm. I, I have no idea why, literally no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever shifted off, off the middle chain ring, you know, it's just like, I didn't know how, <laughs> no one had taught me. So yeah. it's just this, this weird thing that like, you know, 27 gears is better than, than, than 18 or what have you. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think, yeah, you know, in this, this point I just saying, oh, we used to have triples and so people are really obsessed with steps. Go back to yeah. triples. Go and get your triple chainring, and then you can have all the fun you want with the triple. Sure. But um, but so I think the overall benefits of one by again. I think you've got you know the a lot of like clutched long cage derailleurs that give you a lot of range that don't mm. have chain skips. So when you've got the multi train riding, it's better. I think it looks nicer. You have less weight. You have one less maintenance consideration, which is the front the front derailleur which I don't know about you but I always like I don't think it's that common to get a bike for test and not to have some sort of rubbing at some point of yeah, the front sure the and the chain, because yeah. I just think, you try and try and try, and they're just like, Sss, yeah. Sss, and you're like oh, God. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously, if it's your own bike, you have it for years, but obviously as a bike tester for a decade, like, I'm always yeah. getting these new bikes, and I know I probably should get it in the stand <laughs> and spend like two hours like getting it absolutely fine, but usually I just go out on it, and I'm like, yeah, sweet, bike, <laughs> and, then, yeah, yeah, and then I'm like, oh, it's rubbing, this is so annoying, and if you just remove yeah. that acceleration altogether, you know, yeah. it's one bike, it's a simple, no rub, no maintenance, consider uh, no fuss solution. And you're not going to pack the, the. You're not going to have to worry about a whole more bunch of internal cabling. You can just have a blank for where the usual uh, front chain, uh, front um, shifting cable would be. And so for me, I just think the whole thing is just simpler. And you know, ultimately, when we get to the point we have like thirteen speed group sets, like the ECR or the Rotor, I think there's a lot of gearing and like in terms of range and in terms of steps on offer. And I think the real only limit and the reason i think it hasn't taken off is probably because for professional riders a lot of time this isn't a very good solution because they have to be going at such a specifically competitive pace at all points of their cycling like when they're climbing like a 15% climb they're still going at the absolute threshold and they're still trying to get like an extra you know half a kilometer an hour and when they're going downhill like a a stormy 94 kilometers now, they probably still would like to get a little bit of cadence instead of trying to get a bit more speed. But you or I, or even really good cyclists, don't often have to, you know, actually exert themselves at those levels, because usually on 15-20% climb, even really good rides aren't usually Going absolutely, they're just trying to get up it. They're like, oh, if I can, if I can maintain the cadence, because you know, like Mortarolo, do you know anyone that can keep cadence on that kind of climb? I've never met. <laughs> you know, like you see Contador, and he's like, oh, you know, he's at eighty. You're like, no, there's no group set I've ever seen that can allow you to do ninety rpm without just looking like some sort ridiculous right. mountain biker on a, you know, climbing <laughs> at like two kilometers an hour. But so I think you know, it's just a different. You know, you you just kind of, you just kind of manage. I think a lot of time uh, on a road bike mm-hmm. as a normal cyclist, and you, you hit the cadence you can you can ride at. And that's absolutely fine. Um, I think I think one by basically means that at those outer extremes, you won't get the exact ideal cadence solution, but most of the time, you'll get the overall range that you desire. So you'll be getting enough gearing to get up the mountain, or enough gearing to you know pedal out on a descent. And then you're in a tuck or whatever, not a super tuck because that's banned, but a normal tuck. And so yeah, <laughs> for that's n- overall. For now. <laughs> yeah, for now. Yeah, well, so that's the next thing, that. obviously. Once the one bike yeah. comes in, we'll be reintroducing uh, yeah. Yeah, the super tuck. But um, yeah, and I think this whole thing, you know, really, it, it probably was killed dead in the water as a result of the uh, Aqua Blue kind of experiment with the 3T sure. Um mm-hmm. And I think that was that was a shame actually because I think that was a really cool bike and. I think it was fair for those guys to say they didn't like it, and then to be fair, actually Gerard Broom, and i spoken to him in the early stages when he was considering that, and he said he, he viewed pro teams as an experiment in, experimental testbed, and that's where he saw the benefit. And to be fair to him, he said that, he's like, you know, we're going to experiment with t- Team Acre Blue, and they said they didn't like it, and that was actually an experiment that works, ultimately. You're like, well, you experimented, the team said they didn't like it. They said some kind of mean things about 3T, which I don't think was entirely fair, but they can say what they want. But um, yeah. Um, but, and, but I think lots of consumers really love that bike as well. To be honest, I yeah. think a lot of people I see around the 3T Strata, loved that. And the 3 had a again, they're both really great bikes. So mm-hmm. it was interesting. And I think that whole thing of it going into the pro peloton and being rejected really killed yeah. it for a lot of road cyclists. But I think mm-hmm. we'll maybe see at some point a resurgence. And I think when I was at the world championships in 2019 in Harrogate, I think Boca Mollema was riding a one by group set. Um, which I got excited about and wrote an article about and then obviously he didn't even finish the race. So but, but he was riding a one by <laughs> after the Aqua experiment. Right, and he was right. managing that he was he was excited about riding a one by SRAM ETAP group set. And it was mm. it was still a pretty hilly course. So he thought he could maintain a ride. He, he thought he could, you know, stay up with the pack and ride at a world class level with a one by group set, which I thought was interesting, right? But as many pointed out to me, he didn't finish, so it didn't work out for him. Right. So there we go. But anyway, so I suppose I'm sort of just uh, rattling on here. I could go on for a while longer, but I think I have to give the floor to you to yeah. make a counter argument, because <laughs> otherwise I'm just going to yeah. talk about the history of derailers and what have you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we could we could uh, we could make this podcast a, a reference for people, and they can just keep coming back to listen to Peter yeah. talk about the past, like derailers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, those are all very compelling arguments. Uh, you're absolutely 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I intend to prove it. Uh, but first, let's take a quick quick break. And when we come back, uh, it is my turn to tell you why I think that Tubai is going to remain the king supreme of the road world for the time, uh, time being and for the, uh, the long haul, to be quite honest. But first, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinowy, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Lekker. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis. And I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think LACA's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. Welcome back, friends.
0: We are uh, still debating one by versus two by, and you know, Peter. One thing that I found interesting is that you know you focused pretty exclusively on road riding, and I think that makes sense. This is the our Podcast, after all. Uh, I'm looking around my garage right now, where I am recording my my uh, my end of this podcast, and I've got let's see, I've got a road bike, and that is set up with two by. I've got a gravel bike that is set up with one bike, I've got a mountain bike that is set up with one bike, and I've got a gravel e-bike set up with one bike. So, and I've got a motorcycle that doesn't run. Um, <laughs> I've got the wide gamut here. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting to me to be arguing two-by when the vast majority of the bikes that I own are one-by. And there's a reason I think that two-by is going to last for the long haul in the road world specifically. Uh, well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, first, I think the way people ride road bikes is fundamentally different than any other discipline. Uh, and I think what most road riders want is control. Uh, and so for me, I'm in, I'm here in Colorado, and between my house and the nearest mountain is about, I don't know, 40, 40 minutes of pretty flat rolling um, uh, terrain. I, I don't need the two by there. But as soon as I get to Golden, Colorado, it starts kicking upward. I need every single gear I have. I need every single combination I have. And like you said, with a one by, I probably have the range I would need. However, uh, I am a weird. I'm really weird about my cadence. Uh, I actually had some. I don't, there's not much for me to brag about in terms of how I ride a bicycle, <laughs> but I will say this: I've I've been complimented on my ability to keep a constant cadence, and. For me, that's very important. Cadence is very important for me to not only um, ensure that I'm, you know, I'm getting whatever watts I need to get up a hill or whatever, but for me mentally, um, it it keeps me honed in on, uh, you know, what kind of efforts I need to put in for the varying terrain. And so I like to keep a very steady cadence. And what I've noticed, and, and like you, I've tested a gazillion bikes. I'm always on a different bike, one by two by. I've done it all. Um, what I've noticed is that with a two-by setup, I'm always able to keep a better, more consistent cadence. And despite improvements with the wide range cassettes, there are still fairly sizable jumps between gears that can really affect your cadence. So, you know, if you think about the different styles of riders, there's there's definitely the tempo riders, the, the cadence riders, and then there's just the gear mashers, there's the climbers, there's a gazillion different types of riders. And I think the two-by drivetrain from a commercial standpoint as somebody, you know, as a, as a brand trying to sell a bicycle, the two-by is going to uh, be the, the solve for more types of riders. And that's, that's especially true at the, the world tour level and, in, you know, anywhere in the pro ranks, really, uh, where you've got a wide variety of riders who have a wide variety of requirements and the two-by system is going to accommodate more of them. And now, of course, at that level, you know the bulky molinos of the world if he's if he gets to uh, you know a flat country and he wants to ride a one by he can do that um and you know if he's going to be in the mountains throw him that two by that versatility is exclusive almost exclusive to the top echelon of riders for the rest of us uh you know most people who buy a bike buy one bike they don't buy 10 like we do like because we're crazy um and so there, there has to be sort of a, a one solution that works for the vast majority of people, and I think two by is that, um, you know. And and you mentioned you know the, the idea that you know you've got eleven speeds in the back and two up front. That's not necessarily twenty two speeds, and that's absolutely right. But at any given point, maybe you have four gears, you know. In the say you're in the the small chain ring, you've got four gears out back where you're feasibly going to spend most of your time when you're in the the small chain ring. Those four gears are ideally suited to that situation, to climbing or whatever it is that you're doing. When you shift into the big ring, then you're, you know, on the other side of the cassette, and you've got those whatever six, seven, eight uh, cogs that are useful in those situations. And I think it's that sort of refinement uh, that makes the two by more appealing. Now, you said some really mean things about the front derailleur. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna defend our dear front derailleur. Uh, and I and I'll be clear here again. I think the front derailleur will live on, almost specifically, exclusively when it comes to road. Uh, it is it is a, a blunt instrument, sure, but it is one well suited to road riding. Whereas you know, gravel riding, for example, uh, you you want the simplicity. Uh, you you don't want a derailleur, front derailleur, to die on you in the middle of Kansas. You know, <laughs> and frankly, you don't need uh those options right because the the courses in that sense are going to be different than there are going to be for a road course you know road road riding you're up you're down you're on the flats gravel you're you're mostly flat and then you'll get some short kick ups and that's qu- sort of the same thing with mountain biking right like you can have those long grinded out climbs but more often than not you're going to have those sort of up down up down up down you know really sharp really uh, quick. And in those cases eliminating the complication of a road or of a front derailleur makes a lot of sense. On the roadside however, there's there's long stretches of time where you might be going uh, as hard as possible. There's uh, long stretches of time where you're going to be, you know, surviving as you said. And again, I think when it comes to riders who are at sort of a, a higher level of riding, not just, you know, the, the newbies who smash the gears, Uh, into whatever gear they need very indelicately Uh, road riders road racers are more particular right you want that you want the option to have the right cadence the right gear uh, at all times and I think the two by offers that more concisely than a one by system does you're not compromising anything uh, for the sake of simplicity I would also say that you know the weight argument I'm, I'm just not sold. I think, you know, I've, I'd have to look back and see what the differences are in some of these group sets. But I think the difference between a one by group set and a two by group set in a lot of situations, is pretty negligible. Uh, we're talking about 250 grams. Uh, let's, let's compare that to something a full water bottle probably weighs about 600 grams.
1: Yeah, but if a frame was going from 750 grams to 500 grams, that'd be mind-blowing. Everyone would say, this is the greatest frame ever made, it's changed the cycling industry. Uh, 250 grams, it can be significant in frame design or bike design, just putting that out there. I know in 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 the broad philosophical sense, 250 grams is completely irrelevant. It's like, yeah, as you say, not filling a water bottle up or not
0: but uh, but also the the function of a frame between a a you know whatever gram frame and then 200 grams less of that frame the function is going to be largely the same whereas with a drivetrain you're you may be and you're not even adding 200 grams you were at 200 grams extra now you're debating whether to take 200 grams away by going one by Uh, but you're also when you make that debate you're also debating taking away a pretty significant function of the bicycle Right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not the same, it's not the same debate, I guess, is what I'm saying. With frames, the, the, the goal is to make it as light as possible, but the actual function of a frame isn't gonna change. Uh, with a drivetrain, when you take that weight away, you're taking a function away. And so mm-hmm. you need to de- decide whether that function is worth 200 grams, you know? And to me, it is. I think just the, the, the ability to tailor my cadence as much as possible, And always have the right gear. Let me give you. Let me give you two examples. One. This is a fun one because Peter, you were there Uh, a few years ago. We were in France and uh, we were climbing Alpe d'Huez. Oh yeah, yeah, that was in the yeah. Yeah, my legs still hurt from it. That was like uh, five years ago. (laughs) Um, And you know, the whole goal with Alpe d'Huez, right, for us mere mortals, is beat an hour. You got to beat an hour. And so. I, you know, I went, I went deep, and every time I looked back, Peter was on my wheel. And, you know, we, get, <laughs> we keep, keep on going, Peter being on my wheel. It was an hour of Peter on my wheel. And then in, like, the last, like, two minutes, Peter zipped around me and beat me up the climb. <laughs> and, frankly, I, I just, I, I remember, you know, Alptuez is not super steep, but it does go on for quite a while, and there's some kickups, Right. And so for me, the, the ability to sit in for that long period of time, 59 minutes of climbing or whatever it was, and to, to be able to tailor my cadence was very, very important. It's the reason, it's the reason I survived that climb. And uh, it's probably the reason I also couldn't, you know, stay ahead of you right at the top, but uh, <laughs> story for a different time. Um, but to me, that's, that's very important, and that's essentially what got me to the top of that climb. Do you think, Peter, uh, at my cadence that I was at on my two-by, if had you been on a one by at that point, could you have matched my cadence comfortably enough to stay on my wheel for that that whole period of time, and then you know, like any racer would, kick up at the top and 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 overtake me?
1: Yeah, I guess at that point you'd have to look at the kind of yeah that three T idea of whether you'd have like a tapered cassette where it has slightly smaller gaps. But you're right, if it right. was like ten to fifty, the steps would be considerable. And at that point, I am absolutely at threshold doing like my super efficient sixty eight rpm design you know just <laughs> totally not a skilled pedal right. but um yeah and also i remember that very differently uh, it was at least three minutes and then i <laughs> and that's when i jumped ahead of you
0: <laughs> I, you know it's all a blur let's be honest <laughs> yeah i just remember it uh, hurting but, a lot
1: <laughs> but otherwise your, your description of it was completely accurate yeah, I was yeah. wheel sucking for an hour <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, dan yeah. slow down i think i've got a flat tire yeah yeah <laughs>
0: All I remember is is just a horrible pain. <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually a lot of yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, in any event, I guess my argument is that you know, whereas one by seems like a um, an averaging, you know, of 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 elements we need in a drivetrain, the two by, while maybe perhaps indelicate uh, with the front derailleur, offers the whole package, the whole range of things that the drivetrain can be capable of. And I think that may not matter for other disciplines like gravel and mountain, but I think it matters a lot for road riding. Uh, so to me, that's that's the biggest indication to me that two-by is not going anywhere. I think we'll see more one-by in certain situations. Uh, I think, like I said, I mean, the Balkimolamos of the world are going to definitely swap between one by and two by, when it suits them, when when that course suits a one by, they're going to ride it. When it suits a two by, they're going to ride it because the weight matters to them more, uh, and you know the simplicity matters to them more. All of it matters to them more. Uh, for everyday joes, uh, and even like the exceptional everyday joes, you know who can who can sl- slightly beat me up out to us, just slightly, just like at the last <clears throat> second. <laughs> um, you know, I think that two by still serves them very well, uh, and and i just think as an option for uh riders who who may focus on cadence or just having the right gear at the right time um you know the other example i wanted to give you was um not too long ago i i attempted to ride fourteen thousand feet up the same climb just up down up down it's like a half everesting uh because i'm i'm half in shape um and you know by I would say by hour four or whatever it was, um, I was riding. I was riding SRAM's ETap axis. That's that's uh, two by twelve, and their big shtick is that the, the jumps between gears in the rear and the cassette are very small, so that you can maintain that cassette uh, that cadence. That was never more important than it was that day, when you get to ten thousand feet of climbing and you're tired and you're trying to just get up the damn climb. You know, <laughs> like a jump from you know. Between between gears from, you know, say a, f- uh, a 14 tooth to a whatever, 16 uh, or 17 or whatever, th- that would be huge at that point. Your legs, you know, might not be able to handle it and you're going to find yourself going back and forth between those gears to find that perfect cadence. Um, whereas with the ETAP uh, axis system, they've eliminated as many of those uh, large jumps as possible. So you get one tooth jumps between uh, and that was that was such a savior for me, um, to slightly micro adjust essentially. Uh, so I think there's just so many situations like that where two by is just so advantageous. Um, can I say,
1: um, let's pause here for a second because for our British or European listeners. The idea do everything 14,000 feet on one climb sounds really impressive yeah. but in Colorado that's just like one and a half cents of Mount <laughs> Evans or Pikes Peak <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah in the UK we'd be doing like the same climb like 80 times but yeah. you just probably went up like one time and then came back to do the last 400 meters
0: no no and and I'll tell you this though uh I did do Mount Evans shortly a few weeks before that and I was equally unimpressive on that climb <laughs> but mm. but this one was a it was an up and down up and down up and down um and it was only an average I think it was only an average of six percent, so it wasn't. Oh, wow. You know, it wasn't a super steep climb. There were some kickups, but it wasn't a super steep climb. Uh, but the idea was to get fourteen thousand feet of climbing that day. Um, mm. And so, you know, yes, it is a little different here in Colorado, where you know everything is is up, you know, and and up for a very long time. Um, and that's a good example. I mean, Mount Evans. I've climbed Mount Evans once, and I pray I never have to do it again. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. very painful, and it's four straight or three and a half hours of climbing without let up yeah. uh at that point you'll want every edge you can get you know and that and maintaining your cadence is going to be very important in situations like that
1: yeah that's actually that's one time that i couldn't actually get enough gearing even on like a two-by because it was actually wasn't mine at evans but pike's peak that's maybe 10 yeah. feet lower it's yeah. out it's height but up there because you've got the lack of oxygen you're really mm-hmm. struggling and actually getting getting over the top of the gear getting some cadence is super yeah. difficult and they're um I mean, they're kind of, a, that had been like a one-by would have been okay, so I'm just trying to get up it. But then your example about the way where you are on the threshold trying to keep up with somebody, that mm-hmm. is a fair point that there, those high-end tight gears are actually yeah. really quite valuable. Um, so you're admitting that? So I'm that's an interesting point. Yeah. No, well, I think there's a, there's a couple <laughs> of interesting caveats here that I think. Okay, okay. So I think firstly that it's interesting that in this debate we talk about high-end road cyclists, but we don't see entry-level road bikes or even, you know, mid-level road bikes coming with one-by and actually... It might suit the rider a lot more mm-hmm. if if you if, if this is your first road bike that you're getting coming into being a road cyclist from being a commuter. Mm-hmm. You think one bike would be absolutely sufficient for your needs if you're not going to be because most you know most British riders aren't likely to be climbing out the way immediately and they certainly won't do it at the pace we did it. You know the mighty pace of you know, <laughs> seasoned tech journalists. But you know I think that they probably wouldn't there'll probably be a few years before you get to the level of cycling where you're likely sure. to be really able to put a concerted threshold effort on a climb like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find it weird that you don't get just you know the normal beginner bike being a one-by. It doesn't necessarily strike me as making sense that those benefits you're talking about are quite a high-level kind of – either it's the benefit you see from being a very high-level athlete or it's a very experienced athlete that knows your optimum – Physiology and your optimum performance at certain cadences, right, so right. that's an interesting one. And then the other caveat, again, the trick up my sleeve that I didn't mention earlier on, but oh, like, go. there's this um, there's this kind of whole new development of internal hub gear shifting with the classified hub. Have you seen this classified hub? So
0: I, I know of it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen it in the flesh. I don't yeah. even really know how it works. But yeah. essentially, what it's offering is a ratio switch within the hub. Mm-hmm. that then the cassette will move at a different pace to the hub itself. Right. And so that I think as a future development technology, it's super interesting because I mean, and to be fair, it is actually two by, you might claim, that? and that would How be true. That? But but it but what you're offering there is, is greater range yeah. with without using the the front derailleur and this clumsy front derailleur setup mm-hmm. that's restrictive in terms of, you sure. know, I mean uh, if they you could know, pull that off.
0: If they could pull that off and not add a ton of weight, which has always been sort of the, the problem with those types of hubs, that could mm-hmm. certainly be uh, a pretty a pretty big leap forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But as it is, I mean, you know, how many years off is that, you know, and how many refinements are we going to have to go through before, you know, that that becomes a viable product, you know.
1: That's very accurate that uh, those technologies you see come along, a lot of times they seem so finished and so perfect. And yet sometimes just never appear. Like, I know the Brim Brothers power meter, I don't know, the, the the shoes that had power meters within them, those appeared literally about 10 years ago, and it seemed like, oh, this will be the future power meters. And never saw a working sample, you know, even, you saw them, you know, some magazines had them and things, but a lot of the time it just doesn't quite hit the point to be saleable for the mass market. So it might be the case here, but that said, I know very little about the company, I've not seen a live sample. I'd like to, I think I'd be really interested to t- test it out and see what it's like
0: yeah yeah and i think that's that's one final point i think should be made before we before we wrap up here is that you know when we talk about all these these technologies that are getting poured into bicycles and you know we see all these astronomical prices and things like that i think you need to realize that you know with with developments in bicycles it's actually always more complicated than in most other vehicles uh you know the most common one that people compare it to is the motorcycle well you know i could buy a motorcycle for that price yes but the 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 point with motorcycles is that uh, the engine is an engine. On the bicycle, the engine is you. And so uh, with a motorcycle, you know if something's heavier, you just add more horsepower. You know, and it's that's that's the fix. With a bicycle, you can't do that. There's so many parameters that need to be met, and it needs to be. Usable. It needs to be smooth. It needs to be fast. It needs to be efficient. It needs to be light. You know, those are all things that are very difficult to meet. You know, and so for whatever reason, you know, that shoe, for example, the power meter shoe, there, there was something that did not, some parameter that did not get met, uh, to make it feasible for cyclists. And I think there are many things you can do with a, a drivetrain to make it more efficient, to make it, you know, whatever, faster, wider gear ranges. But does it meet all the other parameters—the efficiency, the 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 lightweight, uh, you know, the usability, the tunability, all that other stuff? Um, that's what makes these so difficult, and that's why I think the drivetrain largely hasn't changed dramatically in, in hundreds of years. I mean, it's still chain-driven; it's still gears. You know, um, you know. Now, ceramic speed has something really cool coming out, or that has been out for a while, and they're trying to make that viable. But again, you know, is it viable for the cyclist? And that's always the big question. Um, for now, I still think two by is that answer. One by is definitely nipping at its heels, and uh, and I think we're going to see more of it. It's
1: um, interesting point. I just like to say actually about the engine as well, because you're right that the engine becomes this factor that in terms of gear ratio, because the human body is quite limited in terms of what it yes. can achieve and what especially its mine talk yeah. and what it's, what can it's do. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> no that's not fair dan you know you nearly <laughs> kept up with me and out the way and that's something a lot of people are pretty proud of themselves for i heard um, that
0: nearly i heard the nearly <laughs> part of that that qualification
1: <laughs> um yeah that was the time my front brake was on the whole climb as well it was such a brilliant... oh how about <laughs> that
0: yeah oh.
1: <laughs> so the, um, but i think the interesting point is here you know the e-road setup and i don't know what e-roads on these things i don't have the slower take off either i don't want to get into this conversation about e-roads but Right. E-Road, a lot of those solutions, like the specialized S-Works CREO, it's got a one-by setup because mm-hmm. you do have that solution at the really steep climbs that you have the mm-hmm. extra wattage from the battery coming in, and you have that help to get that cadence at a really mm-hmm. slow really high incline and potentially quite slow speed. Yeah. So that's interesting. That slight addition of technology bringing in a bit of electronic power to the bike is actually mm-hmm. maybe removing the necessity for that front derailleur. And as you say, that's partly the same as motorcycle because you remove that design constraint that is the human body. But again, e rode bikes. That's a debate for a different day. Because we're opening a whole can of worms
0: there. <laughs> many many cans of worms, I'm sure. Uh, well, we want to hear from you guys uh, who are listening, and you tell us who won, who won this debate. Is uh, is two by the future, or is one by? Is it a is it a it's a Colorado win, or is it a London win today? Uh, who's who's taking home the crown? Uh, you can uh, you can reach out to us, Peter. How can how can the folks reach uh, you and and Rulur?
1: Well, we'd love to hear from you. Follow us, uh, Ruler magazine. Instagram, at Ruler on Twitter, Ruler Facebook page, uh, read our content at Ruler.cc or email us directly at info at Ruler.cc.
0: And uh, if you'd like to contact me directly, I'm on the social medias at Brown Tide Dan. That's on Twitter and Instagram. I would be, be absolutely thrilled to hear from you all to uh, for you to heap praise on me and tell me how much I won this debate uh, and uh, tell me that uh, Peter cheated and beat me up uh, Alp Duez that one time. <laughs> Feel free to flatter me as much as possible. <laughs> Peter, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, debating today. That was fun.
1: Thanks so much, Dan. Always a pleasure to be here.
0: All right. And uh, this has been episode two of the Ruler Tech podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover in the future, please do reach out and let us know. Uh, in the meantime, this is uh, Dan Cavallari signing off till next time. And Peter Stewart, thank you again. And we will catch you on the next episode. If you are new to the wonderful world of Rouleur, welcome aboard. It's great to have you. We call it the finest cycling magazine in the world, and with good reason. Quality photography, writing, and design are at the heart of every issue, bringing cycling culture to cultured cyclists. Subscribe now to receive our upcoming Tour de France special at Rouleur.cc.